Hello and welcome to Radio Maria. This is Questions of Faith, the program where you have an opportunity to call in and ask questions. And um, I'm joined today from the London studio. I'm currently in the in the Cambridge studio by our priest director, Father Toby. Good morning, Father Toby. Good morning, Tim, and uh, and good good morning, Anna, who I can see in the in the studio there with her, our, our other Anna, who's in interning with us, Anna, Anna Whitehead. Um, great to great to be with you, and uh, very good morning to all our all our listeners. Yes, um, and we've got a number of questions lined up today. Um, some that have been sent in, and some that I have of my own um, to present to you. But otherwise, how are things going in London, Father Toby? Uh, it's, everything's going very well. I had just been having a call with the, some members of the the world family of uh, Radio Maria, um, probably best known to our, our listeners, Father Andreas, who was the, the priest director before me, and, uh, and just been doing some planning for our uh, uh, marathon, which will be coming up on the uh, 23rd and 24th of, of May, um, which would be a great great event in the life of the radio and uh, this year we're going to be fundraising for for radio maria in nigeria um which is sort of in the process of getting going there and uh, and we've chosen that project um um in part thanks to uh to to all the all the all the, all the graces and all the joy that so many nigerian catholics in this country uh, bring to the church here and so this will be our, our our little way of of giving giving something something back. Um, so hopefully that'll be a, a wonderful two days of of programming coming up on those days. And this will be my first marathon since joining Great Maria, so I'm really looking forward to that. I think it will be quite fun, and um, it being sort of Nigerian themed in a sense um, means that we're going to have a little something about Blessed Cyprian, which I I'm looking forward to as well. Um, blessed Cyprian Tanzi. Um, but I wonder if you would begin with a prayer for us, Father, so that we can get right into the questions. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the, the gift of this day. We thank you for the, the gift of all the opportunities that this radio brings to to make you and your your son and your loving plan for our salvation better known to all English speaking peoples. And we we thank you for for minds, for the gift of of minds that seek to 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 know you, um, an intellect that desires to know you better in order that we might love you as the the, the Lord our Saviour Jesus Christ said, with all all our heart, all our soul and all our minds. And so we ask that as we as we as we answer these questions today, we might be inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so lead not just the the questioners but all our listeners into deeper knowledge and love of our Lord. And we we entrust our, ourselves, especially to uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and also to um, Saint Louis de Montfort, who loved her so much. As we pray together, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
We have a question that's been sent in to us um, from one of our faithful listeners. Um, this is from Raj. So I'm going to play it for us now. Good morning, Father Toby. Good morning, Tim. This is Raj. My question is about Genesis 3.15, which says, She shall crush the serpent's head. So we assume that was Mary. And in my native Paris in India, we have a Mary statue crushing the serpent head. But the newer version of the Bible says he instead of she, which is confusing me. Then who will crush the serpent's head? Mother Mary or Jesus Christ? Please explain. Thank you. So thank you very much for that question, Raja. A, a really, a really good question and uh and and great that shows shows you shows you paying paying attention um as well so this uh this this question comes down to uh um two two different uh editions of of scripture that exist one of the the remarkable thing about the the bible compared to any other sort of uh text from its period is just how many copies we have produced um very close to the uh to, to the time of the events um and how widespread those were in that the sort of different texts have been found in various different countries and also how few textual variants um there are between them in that it seems that the bible was sort of copied and 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 the copies were, were disseminated pretty pretty quickly um and also remarkably for a text of of that age um how few differences there are in the copying of the text which shows people aren't just sort of you know making it up to mean what they want it to to mean they're conscious that they're they're copying something inspired but here we do have one of those very few textual variants and it makes a difference so in the in the Dewey Reams version of the bible we read then the lord god said to the woman what is this that you have done the woman said the serpent beguiled me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because thou hast done this thing, thou art cursed among all cattle and beasts of the earth. Upon thy breast shall go, and earth shall thou eat all the days of thy, thy life. And then here's, here's the, the, the crucial line that Raj is referring to. I will put enmities between thee and the woman, and thy seed and her seed. She shall crush thy head, and thou shalt lie in wait for her heel. And so Raj is referring to having been used to that translation, she shall crush thy head. And this translation is also found in many older editions of the, the Latin Vulgate, and it's the inspiration for so much uh, beautiful um, Catholic art that we, we see where very often if you look at Mary's feet, you will see uh, the, the serpent um, under under her foot, and often the the serpent with the the fruit of the the tree. Um, and the idea behind it is that um, this 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 passage that that I've just read is also sometimes called the the proto evangelium. Um, so the sort of the proto gospel, the first gospel, the first the first account of the good news of how our Lord will come to, to save us. So even in this very moment when God is explaining the consequences of our sin, he's also revealing the good news of how he will not just leave us in that sin. 
But the question then becomes about the specific translation where it says, she shall crush the serpent's head and the serpent shall strike at her heel. Because you won't find that in a lot of Bibles. Instead, they will say things like what we read in the Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition, which is, is the version I normally use. Um, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this time we have the, the masculine pronouns, he shall crush and his heel is in danger. Um, and what uh, most of the, the scholarship that I've read on, on this uh, suggests is that um, the feminine pronoun, the, the she shall um, crush his, his head, just has its error in, a, in an earlier sort of copy of the, of the, of the, Vul, of the Vulgate. Um, and so it's, it's somebody, you know, a, a, a scribe not being completely attentive to the, to the switch in, in pronouns, um, from she to the, the, he that ends the sentence, which leaves us with the idea of, of Mary directly crushing the, the serpent's head. Um, but in a certain sense, both, both of those, um, Editions tell us something true in that it is it is Christ who who crushes the the head of the the serpent, um, but in a very real sense it's also it's also Mary, um, because it's it's through Mary's yes to God um, that that Christ comes into the world. It's through Mary's yes and and raising and raising of Christ that that His work of of salvation. Um, takes takes place and and we believe as christians that that mary continues to to intercede for us continues to to petition god in the in the fight against evil on our behalf and so that even even though i i would say that the translation should properly be you know he will he will he will crush the the head of the the serpent um Nonetheless, those those beautiful works of art with the the serpent under the under the heel of Mary do show us something very true. I think it raises a very interesting uh, meditation. On it raises a meditation. It raises a question and and is a cause for meditation on the importance of tradition, um, because we have, as you say, this what seems to be a scribal error, um, but has been taken up into the church's tradition um and i think that we can trust that the church wouldn't have taken it up if it didn't um carry some kind of truth um and i, I don't know do you have some thoughts on that that's how i i see it, it um even though it's not um i wouldn't want to to try and and force it that it's it's uh um, scripturally correct, because I know that some people, in sort of wanting to defend the Catholic viewpoint, would um, would go that that far. Um, but I think that uh, this is an example of how how tradition can can carry truths and and it has an interpretive um, function within um, within the Christian life. Yeah, like it. The, the, clearly, the text is either one thing or the or, or the other, um, and the majority of the of the text have have he and and that 
that that seems therefore the the one to, the one to go with. But we can we can but we can definitely say that both both meanings are true. When we talk about tradition, I think it's it's helpful from a, a Catholic perspective. I think not to think of um, sacred scripture and tradition as if these were somehow two different things, yeah. but rather that tradition contains sacred sacred scripture. Mm-hmm. And so to think of sort of one river but containing two different two different elements in it, the both the written and the and and the un, and the unwritten. Um, and so our our our, our artworks, um, but also whilst whilst written our our our, our liturgy and the, and the ways that we that we pray and the ways that we behave in church and the and the fact that we, um, you know, bless ourselves with sort of holy water as we walk into into the church. That these these all tell us um, something something true and and carry within them. Uh, you know, precious messages, just just as uh, you know, say, sacred scripture is the is the word of the God and uh, word of God and contains saving truths. But to recognise that there was a there was a there was a church um, before there was a recognised canon of scriptures, mm-hmm. and that the and the the church was was operative using the using the the Jewish scriptures for for certainly. You know, a couple of decades before a, a substantial amount of the of the New Testament um, came into in, into 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 being, um, and so the it's the the scriptures belong to the church. It's not the church that is created by the scriptures. Mm. I'm sure we could we could uh, have a lot of questions on that topic, and particularly if we had any of our you know, Protestant brothers or sisters listening. We're going to go to a music break. And um, this is Matt Redman singing Blessed Be Your Name.
That was Blessed Be Your Name by Matt Redman. Um, And I chose that song specifically because we're about to speak about the Lord's name. Um, And we're going to speak about the sin of blasphemy. You're listening to Questions of Faith on Radio Maria. And um, we have a caller. Radio Maria, hello. 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 Who's speaking? Anna. Ah, Anna Fleischer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you have a question for Father Toby and I regarding blasphemy, am I right? Yes, so I was wondering, um, it kind of strikes me that although a lot of the time saying things like, oh my God, could be taking the Lord's name in vain, if you're doing it flippantly, is it necessarily blasphemy if it's sort of coming out as an sort of instinctual prayer when something bad happens? Like, does, do you have to be thinking consciously for it to be um, not blasphemy when you use the name of, of God? Or, sh- like, surely if something terrible happens and your instinctive reaction is to sort of cry out to God, is that, like, necessarily a bad thing? Or where's the line between flippancy and um, blasphemy? Mm. I think that that last thing that you said is, is, really, is really important. Like, where is the line between flippancy and blasphemy? Father Toby. Yeah, it's a really good question. It's something I've been sort of reflecting on um, a lot, a lot more, and particularly because you hear a lot of people come into into confession and they they confess the sort of blasphemy and and sort of bad language, and they'll um, they'll sort of wrap wrap them up in in one thing. Um, but I I think what Anna said, if you're sort of basic orientation in in life is 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 towards god and, and seeking to seeking to do do his will then i personally don't think it's a terrible thing if in a in a moment of sort of trial or fear um you uh you sort of happen to say sort of like oh my god i think it's then sort of preferable that um that we then sort of turn that into a prayer like oh my god help me um with this or you know oh my god give me patience with this with this person but nonetheless i think sometimes our 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 prayer is sort of thinking and fully intentional and and all of us is involved and and other times we're just sort of praying because we know it's better than not praying but we're not completely we're not completely there um in the same way the, the difference might be, be between you know you're praying a rosary before the tabernacle in the church versus praying a rosary on the tube your, your sort of level of attentiveness on the on the tube is likely to be less than it is when you're before the tabernacle in the church and that yet nonetheless both of them have 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 merit um and so i would say to people just try and turn those those words more often into a prayer but i've been i've been wondering more generally about the sort of the power of the of the divine name and the and the power of the the most holy name of of jesus in why do so many people who don't believe in jesus um why does his name come on their on their lips in a in a in a moment of trial or a moment of difficulty, a moment of of exasperation? And why don't sort of you know why would nobody ever say like oh 
Muhammad, like in a moment of exasperation, um, or 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 some or some other name, and I don't think that that's purely cultural. I I increasingly think that that there is something about the 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 name the name of Jesus which is which is powerful in its in it in its own in its own right and so i think we should be ever more grateful for the fact that we we not only know the the name of jesus which to know the name of jesus is also to know the the name of the name of god but we know the the person behind the name and so every time i'm now far more attentive to to other people using the name of jesus and and I always try and sort of bow bow my head whenever I hear it in in public and particularly in an irreverent way and and just say a little prayer that that person might actually come to know Jesus as their savior might actually come to know the 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 power behind the the name the name that they utter. I don't know if that helps that or helpful? seems reasonable. <laughs> Is that helpful, Anna? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Good. All oh. right. Do you have any other um, thoughts on that before we um, move on? Um, not at this moment. That, that okay, yeah. good. Because St. Paul tells us to sort of pray with pray without ceasing, um, and to sort of pray pray without ceasing to to really mean anything. I think you know, obviously, it can't be that we're uttering prayers every single moment of our of our life because we have to sleep sometimes and there are, and there are moments where we have to do other things than than pray for example speaking on the radio um <laughs> so i think sort of pray without ceasing points to the importance of prayer um but to a, a basic orientation because when we pray we lift our hearts and minds to to god um and uh, and that should also be the orientation of of, of everything that we're doing and as, as i said at, at moments that's going to be at some moments that's going to be more intentional than at other other moments um mm. but those other moments are still valuable if they're united to a to a basic fundamental or orientation towards god um it's important to say what i'm not saying here is that when i'm uh, about fundamental orientation there's a there's a line of theology which i think is very bad which speaks which is called the the fundamental option which says, as long as your basic orientation is towards um, God, then it doesn't really matter what you do, and you're not capable of doing mortal mortal sin. Um, that's been advanced by some theologians, uh, but Saint John Paul the the second in his encyclical uh, Veritatis Splendor um, resoundly sort of declared that that was not the teaching of the Church. So fundamental orientation, yes. Fundamental option uh, with regards to mortal sin, no. There's a number of interesting avenues that we can go down from this this spe specific topic, and um, one of them is that uh, I've heard a friend say that it's you can. It tells a lot about a culture if you look at what their um, swear words are, and um, in uh, in a kind of western i'll say english speaking um uh england let's let's narrow to that and maybe america as well most of of our swear words regard um sexual things you know like if you mm -hmm. not that we would want to bring these things up but if you go to highly um, religious countries like catholic countries um their swear words are actually all 
um, religious things, such as uh, even the Eucharist is used as a swear word in some countries, which is a, it's horrible, but it says a lot about the um, what what kind of defines um, what is the holy or what is the kind of the beautiful thing that that um, that a person turns to uh, to defame, you know, in in that moment of of anger. Um, so that's just a an interesting mm-hmm. thought. Yeah, well, it became very popular in the program line of line of duty. Uh, the um, there's a Northern Irish guy who was in in charge of the the sort of anti-corruption department in the police. I can't remember the the name of the department now, but um, at one he sort of it gets revealed over time that he's clearly a, a Catholic um, practicing or, or not not completely sure. But at one point, sort of in in a moment of his aspiration, he's this Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and the and the little donkey. Um, which viewers of the program seem to seem to love, but it was highly plausible for somebody from Northern Ireland in a in a way that it that it wouldn't be for somebody from from yes. England. I think because of because of the point you're making, Tim. Yeah, well, that that's um, sort of joins into something that I I had that I wanted to ask on this question is because, I mean, one gets the the atheistic way of using the Lord's name in vain, which is. Um, really awful but then you get these um, instances where and you find this from religious countries people who are religious people who do pray who suddenly will use the lord's name um, in an exclamation and it doesn't sound like a prayer but it doesn't sound altogether like a um, a swear word either and um, the the book that that we've both been reading uh, yeah has these instances and i think that they 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 happen um very appropriately in, in the same way that i've i've heard it done in some african countries you'll you'll hear people um use the the lord's name in that way and it's i find it very hard to to know how i feel about it because i i naturally find it uncomfortable but i also want to be both charitable and truthful at the same time yeah yeah, the book the book we're both reading at the moment, um, and that also uh, that sister sister Lucy, who's a, a a regular, I mean not sister Lucy, sister Lucy read it before before any of us. So sister Lucy has finished, who some of you might have heard speak on Radio Maria. Sister Carino, who is a more regular contributor and, and often on this program, she's currently reading it, and she said she definitely wants to discuss it on air. Mm. It's an amazing book called. Um, the trilogy together is known as the the Kristin Lavrenstrata trilogy by a, a Norwegian writer um, Sigurd Unset, who was a Catholic convert, um, became a lay Dominican, won the Nobel Prize for Literature. And one of the brilliant things about reading this book is that you're reading a book completely set in in, in Christendom. So the biggest sinners know what they're doing is 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 sin they do it in that context it's not that they don't believe it's it's sinful and so it it's a it's an amazing insight an amazing entry in, into a into a world where atheism atheism is is not an is not an option mm-hmm. um, this is another interesting conversation we could have but charles taylor's book the secular age he speaks about the fact that 
that we can't properly understand the the what he refers to as the the social imaginary um which is similar to what we might say the the worldview of somebody in the 14th century because even for those of us who believe we are still conscious of the fact that we might not have believed whereas for somebody living in the 14th century sort of unbelief mm. is not is not is not a, is not an option you simply believe that's that's what you do that's not to say it's an age without reason you know very very much is in an age in which reason is starting to to really really flourish mm-hmm. um but as as tim was saying the the characters in kristen lavrenstrata who uh i'm not going to speak for tim but when i when i read uh some of them i think well these are these are definitely holier characters than i am nonetheless mm-hmm. use the 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 name of of jesus more casually than than i than i would the other factor to bring into our conversations is the is the sort of the jewish hesitance to use the the divine name which yes. should perhaps i don't i don't know how that that colors our 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 our, conv, our conversation um if you look in some some versions of, of scripture you will see um in the old testament regularly uh the the lord in 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 capital in capital letters um, the translation of Adonai, where by, rather than um, use the divine the divine name, um, they it would be it would be pronounced um, the 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 Lord, yeah. um, and in fact the divine name would only be pronounced um, in the in the temple in the in the in the holy of holies by the by the by the priest. Now there's a certain there's a there's a certain part of us which I think should share the the Jewish sort of reverence of this um you know awesome awesome thing to know to know the name of God to have God reveal His name to us, but then at the same time as Christians we we have something even 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 greater whereby we can live in intimacy with God made man and we can't think of knowing a person and not knowing their name and referring them to to them by 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 their name so there's sort of two two seemingly opposed lines of thought there but i think there has to be a a a constructive and creative resolution for that that we live in as christians but i'm not telling you exactly what that is because i don't know (laughs) i have one or two more thoughts on that but i think it's time for us to go to a a music break so we'll we'll return to that topic when we get back um
You're listening to Questions of Faith on Radio Maria, and we have James on the line. Good good morning, James. How are you? Uh, good morning, Tim. Good morning, Father Toby. Good morning, okay, James. Now. Lovely to hear from you. I love to hear from you too as well, Father. I completely forgot it was even Questions of Faith today, so uh, I just, just, just happened to switch the radio on. Lovely. But <laughs> this question I have, I'm trying to figure out how to kind of word it. Um, I remember listening to Radio Maria, and I was also kind of seeing online as well, is something about like old earth creationism and young earth creationism. I'm trying, trying to figure out more as, as Catholics what we should, well, I never really thought of it, what we should kind of believe in that sense because I've heard some people compare the story of Adam and Eve in the fall and just Genesis in general as creative, uh, inspired fiction, which I don't really believe. But I'm not really sure how to go about what exactly to think. Uh, I'm not really sure if I'm wording this properly, but how could it be fiction if it, it was basically that was the original sin and course the fall of man in that sense if of course uh it was only inspired fiction so i'm not really sure what to think i think that's a great question um so the young earth cre- creationism and old earth creationism uh father toby can you outline those two theories do you know what they are um uh, well, my basic understanding i have to be corrected if i'm wrong is that sort of that there are there are people now who ad- advance the idea that actually the sort of the the earth is much younger um than we think and and in fact the earth is the the same age as would would seem to sort of fit in with if you sort of using various sort of cal- calculations about periods of time in in the old testament went back to uh, a a date for creation that would appear to be com- compatible with the the biblical account if you're taking the the biblical biblical account in a literalistic um 
fashion. So that's sort of young young Earth creationism, and they believe that the sort of the the fossil records have been mis mis misinter misinterpreted. And then I presume old Earth creationism is it 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 would be that line of sort of cosmology and and sort of geographical uh, geological research that that went back saying in fact the earth is sort of much 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 older and would and would go along with the uh the sort of big big bang theory idea of creation and 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 probably of 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 evolution um so i don't if i've i've set out the the basic framework right there sort of james as you understand it between sort of young young earth and old earth mm. um so what then to say about well what is the um the the genesis uh, account and how are we to understand it as as catholics well the f the first thing you would have noticed when i was sort of setting out the account of young earth um creationism i said those who understand the biblical account in a literalistic fashion because as as catholics we when we read the the script the scriptures we talk about two different senses of scripture. We talk about the literal sense and the and the and the and the spiritual sense. Um, so, but the literal sense, we when we talk about that, we don't mean what does this text mean if I interpret in a in a in a literalistic fashion. We mean what did the author of this text intend us to understand by it and we see the sort of difference between that between um when we read sort of you know god god is a rock um is the is the author intending for us to think that god is god is actually a rock that he's some sort of giant meteorite in the in the heavens or is the author by writing god is a rock intending us for us to understand something of the nature of god which is solid dependent reliable unch un unchanging and obviously it's 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 the it's the latter so when we approach any text we have to we have to, the first thing we have to try and do to to get the best possible understanding of the text is to get the literal understanding of it as the author and then we can build upon that literal understanding by seeing the spiritual sense which the holy spirit has has re has revealed to us and the spiritual sense can work in a in a number of different different ways it can it can work by showing us um actually how what was written say uh, at exodus about the passover over lamb we now understand the, the the spiritual sense that the true passover lamb is in fact sort of jesus, jesus christ um, it can work in the in in a in a in a moral uh, sense, where we sort of read about um, Jesus uh, cl clearing out the, the the temple, sort of chucking out the money sellers, and we can see that in 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 the sense of what Jesus is clearing out the temples, but but also that there's a spiritual sense whereby we realize we need to sort of clear out sin from our, our hearts, given that we've been made temples of the Holy Spirit by baptism. And then there's also the sense in which texts can be understood. And we read when they speak about, say, Jerusalem, and we can see it in the light of the heavenly Jerusalem and the way that things will be in the end time. So there are, there are three different um, parts of the, of the, the spiritual uh, sense. So what is 
what 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 type of writing is is Genesis? Now, in um, in his uh, series of of Wednesday audiences, which have become known as the the theology of the body, uh, Saint John Paul II speaks about Genesis as a as a myth, and this makes some people very uncomfortable. Um, but what's interesting is is, is those those of you who listen regularly will have heard me speak about C.S. Lewis a, a great deal since I went into a bit of a C.S. Lewis phase about uh, five or six months ago. Was that C.S. Lewis's like conversion was was brought about as he was walking um, through the the gardens of one of the Oxford colleges one evening, and he, he he'd always loved myths. Um, he thought they were wonderful and they and they contained truths. Um, but then he becomes persuaded by uh, by Owen Buffett that, in fact, the the Christian myth is is a is a true myth. That the Christian that the Christian that what he what he understood to be sort of a fictional myth. No, this is the true myth told to us by God. This is God's self revelation of him of himself. But it is not self revelation. Um, in in the sense of a of a history or the way we might expect from a from a from a biography rather it's it's a whole number of different types of uh, of writing so in the in the psalms and especially in the in the song of solomon we've got um po- poetry and then the song of solomon is um is 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 beautiful rich love poetry but what is what is what is Genesis? Well, if we look at Genesis, we see in fact that in Genesis one, and in and in and in Genesis two, there are two accounts of of creation, um, which you know there's the there's the creation of of man, and and one of them there's the creation of man and woman, in another one, and then and they're and they're different and they're different, um, and so what we have to understand, knowing that the scriptures are, are divinely inspired. Is to is to realize that these these accounts are both telling us something true, um, but but from different different perspectives, and so it's often seen that the first account of creation um, tells us something more fundamental about the relation of God and all of creation, and that the second account contained in in, um, in Genesis tells us tells us something more explicit about our human relation with god and and our and our relation with one another and what the the church teaches in um in in the encyclical sort of humani generis is that we have to we have to believe as catholics that there was a first um a first couple um, Adam and Adam and, and Eve. Although we don't have to believe that those were actually their their names. They can be representative um, names. But we believe that there was this first couple, and that they sinned, and that by this sin, um, we we all we all fell, um, and that the nature of this sin was uh, was. Uh, sort of falling falling away from god through through disobedience and through pride and so was there actually a, a tree 
the church doesn't say that we're obliged to believe that, but was there a temptation by by Satan by which the first man and woman turned away from God and lost the the gifts that he had initially given them? Um, yes, we are obliged to 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 believe that. And I, I find myself now going back to Genesis and I, I use the first three chapters in in marriage preparation um a great deal because I I just think there's there's so much truth and 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 wisdom contained in those um we could we could go in into sort of how catholic teaching might fit with sort of evolution on a on another question or or another time but but hopefully that that gives an understanding of of how how we can go about interpreting genesis and and seeing that this is that this is true and yet nonetheless not having to believe that the creation actually occurred in sort of six days as we would as we would define those those days which which not even like saint 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 augustine um you know in his uh in his sort of inter interpretation um of uh of, of this genesis account um isn't isn't writing in a way which seems that he actually believes this occurred in six days but rather something profound about the relationship with god and the order that he brings into the world is is being revealed by this yes yeah, so as far as i know the the literal interpretation trying to see creation as six days is actually a very recent one it it um doesn't occur in um uh, ancient commentaries as we we might expect it to um and you cited augustine as an example uh james you had you you specifically mentioned adam and eve and the first sin yeah um did that that was the one that stopped me uh, yeah. yeah everything else i i kind of already have no I, I heard one one thing someone said was uh i think it's inspiring philosophy he said that they were the first priests or representatives there was more humans before them i didn't really feel too comfortable i didn't really know exactly how, funny. To, how to i listened to that, that. I listened to that this morning, actually. <laughs> yeah, you know what you want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, Michael, uh, I think it's a best uh, friend. I think it was in Pines of the Quietness. Yeah, it's that's a, where I watched. He's a lay apologist. I don't think he's Catholic. Um, so he won't tell anyone what he is. Matt, uh, yeah. Not, Matt Fred, not Matt Fred, the the guest he had on. All um, oh, right, yeah. uh, it's it's a uh, a guy named Michael Jones, and his uh, videos they seem really excellent. Like, uh, sort of, he takes takes topics and then does heaps of research on them um and one of his theories and i think he does state it as a theory is that um adam and eve were not the first uh not the first humans but the first priests um like god had called yeah, them okay. as into well a you see I, I would i would i would i would dis i would disagree with that um i would say what was important to remember is you can have a, a creature which is physiologically um the same as a as a hu as a human being and you can cut that creature creature up and you can look at it and you can examine sort of its brain tissue under the under under the under the microscope and using whatever sort of you know cell cell tissue sort of techniques you you wanted to do and it could be physiologically exactly the same as as a as a human being and so I'm quite open to the possibility that physiologically there are before Adam and Eve 
hum, humans that, that that share on a on a physical purely material basis all the same characteristics as them but with adam and eve what happens and as we believe happens with every single human human being at the at the moment of conception that they are given a, an, an immortal soul and that this soul makes a profound difference to that human that that human that human person um and that new possibilities for for knowing god and loving god and for relating to to one another's and for abstract thought and for all of the things that d distinguish human civilization from and, and culture from what any other sort of animals create that all of those things become possible because of the immaterial soul um that that we that we receive at the moment at the moment of conception but nonetheless you cut us open and and, and we would bleed the same as somebody without a without a soul because you can't cut open you can't put the soul under a under a microscope but nonetheless there is metaphysically something profoundly different about a physiological human being without a soul and a physiological human being with a soul. And I would say only the latter can be Homo sapiens because only the one with the, the immortal soul is capable of being wise and to be wise is to, to know God and to see as God sees. Well, that's 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 kind of the most sound theory I've heard so far. To be completely honest with you, uh, it was very confusing. We kind of put that all in a very reasonable light. Yeah, I think it's helpful to know that um, the person who said that doesn't have certain boundaries that we as Catholics have. So he's he's exploring certain ideas of theology that um, we might have, uh, you know, like a um, a wall that we can't we can't go beyond. Um, but that would that would be something that we could perhaps explore at another stage is is what exactly are we required to believe about adam and eve and um and uh just to look at some of those boundaries because there are places where we can explore right father toby like that that haven't been clearly yeah yeah you know and that's going that's going on in theology all the time and new new um new sort of human discoveries about the human person or, or history sort of prompt new new theological reflections um and gk chesterton sort of with regards to what you were just saying about um sort of walls not not to go beyond and somebody once sort of on his conversion to catholicism uh sort of criticized the catholic church for um for the sort of the, the erecting walls around thought and he said well i see the walls but these are the the walls of a the walls of a playground um, they're an arena in which I can, which I can play safely. And, um, if we sort of equate freedom with being able to think things that are, that are wrong, um, then we've got a, a faulty notion of freedom. Freedom is, is about being able to, to see what is true and what is good and then, and then choose what is, what is true and, and, and what is good. And so that thereby the the boundaries that the church gives us are are, are an ally that they're, they're helpful or as flannery flannery o'connor another great catholic writer she said that she saw that she saw the dogmas of the church as not as not as restrictive but as springboards for for thinking 
On that note, I wonder if you would end with a prayer for us, Father Toby. Yeah. So we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you for for all our our listeners and the gift of their their questions and the opportunity to to seek to know you better. And so we give glory to you as we pray. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thank you, Father Toby. Thank you, James. Um, we'll yep. be back See you, Father Toby. next week. See you, Thanks, James. See you soon. God bless. See you, bye. bye.